The following material contains adult language and mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Danger, Will Robinson. The Pinball Network is online. Launching The Pinball Show. Midweek edition. Pinball is a game of skill. For some, it's a passion and a lifestyle. It's time for the Pinball Show. It's pinball with personality. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining me again on the Pinball Show Midweek Edition. Hope you are all well. I am, of course, your host, Craig Bobby. And for the next 30 minutes or so, we will continue our chat about the topics and happenings in the world of pinball. Occasionally, we'll have a guest along for the ride, and hopefully, we'll have a little fun along the way. So if that sounds fun to you, well, what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Is there a doctor in the house? Luckily for us all, the pinball show can confidently say yes with our own resident, Dr. John Cawson, hailing out of the fabled Gold Coast of Queensland, Australia. Besides being one of Australia's best oral and maxillofacial surgeons, Dr. John is also one of the more active and well-known personalities of pinball, particularly in his home turf, where he is quite active in various pinball leagues while also arranging and organizing a huge variety of pinball-related tournaments tournaments and events over the past decade there. You know him as the Pinball Show's resident Spooky and Haggis news correspondent. I give you the one and only Dr. John. All right, so hey, Dr. John, so thrilled that you could be with us this afternoon. Really, uh, really excited that you were able to come on the show today. How's it going? Great, mate. Having a a lovely Saturday morning in Australia in the uh, middle of summer, well, towards the end of summer, really, but... uh, as a complete polar opposite with the emphasis on the pun for poor old Americans and Canadians probably too. Well, we're in the throes of winter right now. For most of uh, folks in uh, in North America, except if you're probably down in Florida or out in California, it, we're getting some snowy weather here across a lot of the a lot of parts of the US. It's snow city, so yeah, so Australia, you're in you're in the middle of your summer then, I guess. Yep. This time, well, a bit earlier than this last year, Australia was pretty much on fire. Um, I was at Indisc in California, playing in my first Indisc tournament, and everyone was coming up sympathising with us because Australia was on fire. Um, we didn't know anything about it because we'd been we went over to America on uh, the 27th of December before it all started. We were there till mid-January, so uh, we thought, oh, what a terrible year for Australia. Little did we know how the rest of the year would pad out. It it could get worse. It could (laughs) actually get worse. (laughs) It couldn't get worse than the fire. (laughs) But yeah, it did. did. So how is COVID going out there, John? What's, uh, give us the update there about how how the country's doing in general and and, and what's going on over there. It's it's pretty much non-existent here. The only COVID we have now is expat Australians coming home from overseas. Uh, as soon as they land, we stick them in a hotel for 14 days quarantine and test them, and they have to stay there until they've had uh, 
two negative tests after 14 days and then they're allowed to go home. And every now and again, a little bit leaks out. Uh, you'll get a hotel worker who accidentally doesn't follow protocol and somehow gets the infection, goes home. They have to be tested every day that they're working there. So if they get a positive result, they then have 14 days lockdown at their home. Um, sometimes if they have a result and have wandered around for a couple of days somehow, that area of the city will go into five days lockdown, stay at home completely to make sure it's not spreading anywhere. And then after the five days, if we've had like one immediate family member caught it off them, that's fine. Everything will open up again. So that's what we're doing. And so we have really no community spread at all. Everything is open as normal. There's a limit on how many people can visit your house and that's a hundred at the moment. So we can't have more than a hundred at home. And because I'm going to a person's 50th birthday party tonight and they were upset that I could only have 50 people in their home. But uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we got, we were lucky. We um, got onto it pretty quick following overseas examples and just said, right, everyone stay at home, don't do anything. Let's see what happens for one to two months. No one move. And it only lasted, I think, the initial lockdown, probably the longest was in Victoria down south. Uh, they had a couple of months. Then they had a resurgence after some hotel workers decided to have sex with some of the people in quarantine. As you would. And then they spread it back around Victoria. <laughs> Hence, we use the term dirty little Victorians. Uh, and they went into quarantine again for three months because of that. And now they stopped doing that. Yeah, we are community spread free. It's just the working out what to do with the overseas people returning. The, the latest scheme is to build specialised camps out away from the cities because it always struck me as odd that they would come back from overseas, uh, mm -hmm. test positive and be put in the middle of the city and hope it didn't get out. Yeah. <laughs> Which sometimes does, but now we're building special camps outside of town where there is a regional airport that they can be flown to, um, dropped off, self-contained apartments basically, their own kitchens, uh, they can have groceries mm -hmm. delivered, um, cooked. Mm -hmm. Their family's not stuck in a hotel room. They're in a little cabin with a with a balcony, and then after 14 days, go home. So it, it's working. It's working well. And our vaccine rollout starts next week, I think, at, uh, to health workers and quarantine workers. Yeah. So you so you haven't had a lot of the vaccine uh, distributed yet either, right? No. Next week it arrives. Kind of like the pinball machines. They're 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 arriving eventually. <laughs> not not all of them, and we'll talk about Kelp later. But anyway, nice segue. Well, that's good. I'm glad I'm glad you guys are getting along over there. It does go to show you when a country, you know, really has a coordinated effort uh, to fight this thing that it can be done, right? Like. I know it's 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 like taking the uh, taking the hard pill early, and it does it does pay off in the long run. You know, as difficult as it is, um, and obviously no one's happy about it early on. Countries like Australia that that really got to it fast, kind of had a had a plan and had had protocols that they were serious about. I think had much better success rates early on. And like you said, you're 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 walking around with no mask for God's sakes. No, we don't have masks. We don't have any of that. But uh, we're also lucky our government put in really early community support financially. So oh, yeah. everybody got paid a JobKeeper allowance. And uh, I think it was $1,600 a week. Well, I can't actually remember. But everyone got paid the same amount. It didn't matter whether you were employed, unemployed, rich or poor. They thought it's going to be too hard to means test people and work all that out. So there were young people who worked in supermarkets casually that suddenly had a lot more money than they ever used to. But everyone basically had enough money to live on uh, while they were not going to work or school, etc. So that 
was a very key point, that there was a lot of support from the government financially for people to follow the rules. And it was good. No, so we're all happy. And you'll get there. I'm sure you'll get there. Yeah, we'll limp, we'll limp on through. You know, Canada was, we're, we're sort of in between Australia and the United States in terms of the, well, first of all, the population. You know, there's only uh, 30, call it 35, 36 million people spread out over 2,000 miles, call it. So really, we've got, we have fewer major, major city centers. Um, and our government, we had more of a, a federal response that the provinces sort of get behind. They, they sort of administer what the federal government says. So there was a little bit more of a cohesive game plan, I would say, early on, not maybe as early as it should have been. But uh, but we cer- certainly earlier than the than the Americans got got with it. That's for sure. And so and so as a result, you know, we're, we're still in a lockdown here, unfortunately, like we're just kind of coming out of it now. And we probably have a couple more weeks in this city anyway of, you know, a stay at home quarantine, essentially, where they're t- telling people to stay home. But but beyond that, we're we're just about there. There is light at the end of the tunnel and, and the case rates have been uh, dropping substantially since everyone's been home for the last, you know, call it six weeks, since Christmas, really. I mean, really, if you, if you do a hard lockdown, it should only take mm-hmm. three weeks. Mm-hmm. But everybody's got to follow the rules. Yeah, and that's the problem. And then you can, the hospitals can set up, uh, do their work for ventilatory support for those who require it, and everyone else stay home. It just seems a little hard to, uh, to, to follow sometimes for some people. Anyway, anyway. Back to pinball. Yeah, back to pinball. <laughs> Onwards and upwards, right? And speaking of pinball and the personalities in pinball, Ryan C., Jesse J., Martin Robbins, I mean, those are the three that sort of come to mind, and yourself, of course, when I'm thinking about personalities in pinball and, and folks that have been a little more front and center in terms of either podcasting or, um, or streaming. How far away are those people living from you, John? And, and really, should they be living further? Well, let's be honest. <laughs> dirty victorians as we know them That's well right. yes so all three live in melbourne i uh, spend a lot of my time living in melbourne and melbourne's a two-hour flight south so however how, how fast the plane go um <laughs> it's at the very southern part of australia i'm in the middle of australia everyone thinks it goes melbourne sydney brisbane but above brisbane is the same distance again up to cape york in the tropics but uh yeah so we're two hours flight apart but the tyranny of distance of Australia, because everything is so far apart, we have a, a good uh, internal airline system. Um, it's not as inexpensive as flying around the US, we found, but we do travel a lot amongst places. So if you had had this conversation with me two weekends ago, Jessie J would be sitting next to me. She spent five days up here at our place touring the local pinball hall. I think I broke her. If Jessie's listening, I broke her. <laughs> on the final night she was here, I said, come on. Let's keep drinking. And she said, no, I really have to go to bed. <laughs> so that was my proud moment. I broke Jesse J's liver in half. <laughs> and New Year's Eve, we had Ryan C up here uh, for our New Year's Eve party. He happened to be deciding to holiday on the Gold Coast. And I think after knocking back a number of offers from people that weren't as good as us, well, I think we were the only ones who invited him. But um, the very first time I met Ryan was interesting. It was before... It was pre-podcast days, however many years ago. That would have been, what, three or four years ago? He contacted me because people knew me because I always opened my home up to anyone in Australia, basically, that uh, wants to come and have a game of pinball. So he contacted me, and uh, at the time, I was running a small competition centre in a factory that a friend of mine owned 
I had about 25 machines in there. And he asked if he could come along and play in one of our pinball competitions. And I said, of course you can. And he said, I better, I better warn you, I am the best player in Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> and you're so, like, well. <laughs> okay, we know where one hand's firmly planted. <laughs> so he, he came along to the competition. I told everyone he had said that. So he, the target was on his back. But he, I think he came incredible third, which was good. Because um, little do you know, we had we had at the time the number one and the number two pinball players in Australia living in this area that came to every comp. So you pretty much go, oh, I'm just there's the, there's Ryan C right now bugging you again to come over. Put that on site. Um, yeah, so that's the first time I met Ryan before he became the Ryan. Uh, and Marty doesn't. Oh, he's travelled up a bit. I've been to his house a couple of times, um, and he lives close to both. Uh, Jesse and Marty and his nice little um, four pin collection at home. But uh, Martin's even more famous for setting up streaming rigs during competitions. So he run the Melbourne uh, Silver Ball League streaming for a while. But uh, even before that, he would set up an event called Flip, Flip Out Pinball, not Flipping Out. This is actually the Flip Out T-shirt I happen to have on which was run in Melbourne and it was one of the, well, the second biggest event in Australia. And it was uh, with support of Mr. Pinball, one of our pinball distributors in Melbourne. And I'd set up a large competition, which would go over three days down in Melbourne. So that's where I first met Martin. And again, that was pre-pinball days. And then, uh, yeah, we've stayed in touch ever since. Yeah, so so you're obviously really dialed in and, and uh, organize a lot of competitive pinball there in Australia, John. So who would be your Australian, the Australian version of Raymond Davidson? Like, like when that person shows up at the tournament and everyone goes, God damn it! There goes the tournament now. Now and everyone's now everyone's trying to battle it out for second and third place. <laughs> who's that? Who's that person? And you can't name yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Far from. I can tell you who that person was at last year's Queensland Championships and last year's Brisbane Masters was a a chap you may have heard of called Esha Lefkoff. So <laughs> he came over to Australia uh, with Colin Urban for the Brisbane Masters and. It was sort of like turning up to a tennis match at your local club and having uh, uh, Novak Djokovic join in. Yeah, come in. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. shows the gap divide between the world cast players and ours. But in, in our country, current number one is Jason Lambert. Um, he's been our number one for a couple of years now. Very good player. Can't quite match it yet with the world players, but the more they get exposed to playing those sort of people, the better they get. And then our number two is Peter Watt, who lives about two minutes down the road for me. He was Australia's number one for many years before Jason Lambert. And usually when I have an event at my house or at my old centre, they would both turn up. And it's not such a big divide that you knew you couldn't get first or second. I think if you look at the IFPA page stats and you look at your name versus theirs, it is possible to uh, occasionally beat them, which, is, which makes it much more interesting. But consistency-wise, they're both very good. And importantly, they can both play on a large range of games. And I think that's where competitive pinballers, um, Ryan's had this experience, I know, where people will turn up to his house competitions after having played in their own home for many years and getting every grand championship score, go to a different house with a different range of games set up differently, and they get knocked out in three strike in three games. Mm -hmm. And they get extremely upset about competitive pinball, and they don't understand why they can't play. 
And it's because you have to be able to play a lot of different games from a lot of different eras, all set up completely wrong, according to you. <laughs> and that's what Peter and Jason can do. And, uh, and Richard and uh, Richard Rhodes, quite a few others like that, Paul Jones, um, they've all represented Australia at the World Championships. Uh, we haven't done that well yet, but we will the more we can travel and the more we can get exposed. It is one of the things about playing tournaments that I found, and in fact, it was uh, it was Martin Robbins and Jeff Teolis. Uh, I don't want to give them too much credit, of course, but they were the ones that originally got me going on competitive uh, pinball for the first time on their very first podcast. Believe it or not, they were they were touting the the virtues of playing competitive pinball, and I I, I was listening to them. I thought, I, you know, when I first started listening to them, I was like, "There's no way," but then toward the end, I was like. You know what? God damn it! I'm gonna give it a shot. And you're right. You you go. It's a very humbling experience because you go in unless you're playing a lot and you're and you're exposed to a wide variety of games. There's just so many different titles that are out there that when you go to one of these tournaments, of you know, inevitably you're gonna be playing games like you said that either you've never played before or that aren't set up the way the way your machine is or the way you know you remember playing it. And it is an extremely humbling experience uh, when you go there because, like like anything, uh, you know, you have this idea about how good you are, and then you know, and then you're exposed to all these other players who are, you know, generally better. <laughs> yeah, but the thing about, I mean, tournament play is a different way of playing pinball. Well, it's totally different and it can, it's been mentioned recently in podcasts, it can ruin a game because when you find a shot, two shot game that will score with those two shots, they're the only two shots you hit and you will completely ignore the rest of the game. Yeah. And it can ruin a game entirely, you know. <laughs> so much wizard mode, so many multi balls, and you say, well, why risk anything if I just hit left ramp and then right orbit over and over and over again, I will win this game. And it's not an interesting way to play it. Yeah. It's purely for score. So that's a part of competitive pinball that, I don't like. Yes. But the best part is I've learned that I'm, a, I'm what I, I call myself a streaky player that I'll go to some tournaments and I'll win. And I'll just have one of those days where I can't miss a shot. I know the game rules. Everything goes well. And the very next tournament I go to, I'll come dead last because either I'm not that interested, my mind's not focused, or I've been drinking. Any one of the three things. But uh, you've got to have a mindset on the day that you are going to want to do well. And if you're not that sort of person, it's much more fun to go and play and chat and watch the good players mm -hmm. play. And you look at what they do. Um, I was with my wife at Indisc uh, in January last year, and we there was a group of about 30 sitting on the floor watching Keith Elwin play Rescue 911. And all he did was get a three-ball multi-ball going, trap two balls on the lower flipper, use the upper flipper to hit the jackpot shot, be the upper flipper and do it. And he did that for one hour. <laughs> and my wife said, why are you sitting here watching this? He's just doing the same shot over and over. And we said, that's what's great. It's not really pinball. <laughs> it's competition. So... Yeah, no, it's exactly right. And you learn so much when you're at these things that it's, I like it because of the social aspect mainly. And, and when you're playing, the thing about it as well is that you have people of all different age groups, um, you know, men and women mixed together, and everyone just generally has fun. And it's a, and it's a, it's a level playing field beyond people's abilities, you know, and, and so that's why I really like it. But you're right, you learn so much watching the good players play. 
And, uh, and I, I just find it fascinating, the skill, and it is a different way of thinking about it. And so you can't, you, you can't take it too seriously at the end of the day, because it is all about fun. It's like playing bowling or curling or golf, you know, it, it's as much about the social aspect, darts, pool, whatever, generally, there's going to be somebody better than you. And it's, it's mostly about getting together with people and just enjoying a, you know, a similar hobby. As someone brought up, there's nothing worse, would be nothing worse than the first time you ever go 10 pin bowling, someone says, come along, we have a, a bowling league. It'll be great fun. And you've never 10 pin bowled. You hit the gutter seven times out of 10 and the people next to you are scoring 280. And they go, well done. Thanks for coming and making up the numbers. Are you going to go back? No, you're right. It can be like that because I know I was uh, getting quite frustrated in my first tournament as well because I could see, I was like, I had a thousand excuses about why I, uh, you know, I wasn't doing well. I hadn't played any of these games before. All these people had had generally been there before. They they seemed to know the games better. I didn't know a lot of people, so maybe I was a little bit more nervous than some of the other people there. So there was a lot of, of things that can that can weigh on your mind and can eat away at your enthusiasm for going. But but then you know. I found a day or two after all of that kind of settled and I was and I continued to think about it and I and I you know thought about how much fun it actually was and how exciting it was to play all these things all these different games and be exposed to all of yep. that and a little bit of the lunacy as well because all these hobbies have their particular personalities that they attract and pinball you know and I'm sure you've seen it you get such a cross section of personalities and and people in this hobby that it is absolutely fascinating to me it's quite entertaining i find well that's why as i said my my understanding life we do open our home up to pinballers i mean we we regularly have people dropping by to uh, have a session we've also in, opened up the house to overseas people we've had jack danger stay with us for a week we had jessica donato stay with us for about three weeks um esha has been here a few times uh, we, we like this it's in the main people who are nerdy enough to love pinball are polite enough to be able to stay in your house without too many problems. I don't know. You're right. It attracts generally nice people, often quirky, uh, but quirky in such a nice way. And that's one of the good things about the hobby is the people there. One bad thing about pinball, and I don't know where to bring it up now, I, I run events here at home and I often run them for people from school, um, parents and kids. And we, you never play traditional pinball. So we never do a score-based competition. And the reason why is it's totally imbalanced for anyone who knows the game will always win. Uh, and it takes a long time between balls. There's nothing worse than getting someone into a four-player game of pinball and saying, have your first ball, now go do something for 25 minutes while the next three people play, and then we'll come up mm -hmm. for you. Uh, by then, they've lost interest. So I'll always do either a ping golf with how many balls does it take to achieve a certain objective, or the favorite one we've been doing is a timed game. And I'll have an A and a B division. So an, an A division, a game everybody knows, Deadpool. So the B division you've never played before, all you have to do is time how long it takes you to start little Deadpool multi-ball. So hit the three targets, drop it down, put the ball in there, boom, that took me 1.6 minutes. And I go, great. For the A division, it'll be start um, defeat one of the uh, the battles with Sabretooth or uh, or Juggernaut. Uh, so they'll have something harder and they'll get their time. And quite often it can be pretty similar to the newbies. And then the times are averaged out as a team and then the winner is the winner. And that way you're, you're playing with someone who's your friend 
or someone who's experienced. You're not waiting a long time between. I have nine games in the event and you can play them at your leisure whilst chatting and drinking. So you're not standing there waiting and waiting and waiting for the next player to play. And I think the way pinball comps are going with the head-to-head -head games is good because they're usually objective or score-based. The only trouble with them is they're very hard to watch because you've got two games going on at once. And even experienced players like you and I, you just have to pick one game and rely on the commentary, which is probably the only way to do it. But uh, mm -hmm. the, the ping clash and the, and the, uh, the turtles before that, Great to watch. Great to watch. Yeah, that's really a. It, it makes it much easier to watch as a spectator for sure. And that that is one of the other things that you start to learn is that you, when you're going to these tournaments, you get you get a feel for the type of tournaments that you like to play in. And again, and I like I love the, your ideas and things that you do to kind of keep it. Um, keep keep it going or keep it moving I should say because that's the worst when you 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 know you play your game and you're maybe playing for I don't know depending on on the on the thing you're playing you could be playing for five minutes you could be playing for three minutes you could be playing for 15 or 20 who knows but then but then you're waiting for at least that long for for the for your next game to open up and I I always like the scramble games the best where you know you're if you're out if you get knocked out of a particular game then as soon as your other competitors are free, another another game starts, you know. So you're not you're standing around for the least amount of time. Um, you're not waiting for everybody to finish at the same time before you kind of move forward. The computer's kind of tallying the scores and and the and the rankings. And at a certain point, it stops when everybody's played. I don't know whatever it is, ten games or or uh, or whatever they choose, you know. So those scrambles I find tend to move a little better and and they're a little more interesting because you're not standing around quite as long. But inevitably you're standing around. So and that's when you get to talk to people and 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 chat and get to know folks too, which is which is again for me that's the main reason I I love going to these things. It's just to to meet people, to talk to them and get to know them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done the, the flip frenzy format? Yes. Yeah. The flip frenzy. Yes. That's also a good one. I really love that. Yeah. One. So that's, that's, uh, we have a venue just up the road at Netherworld that they put on one of them once a month with, uh, 40 players. And that sells out every time within about two or three hours, the tickets go on sale. So, uh, that's, a, that's a regular one. And, uh, the purists often don't like it because <laughs> you've got to balance how long can I play this ball with, how many points do I need that I can stop playing this ball and still win? So it's got its own tactics, but uh, very social, play lots of different games, uh, meet everybody, and no waiting. And you know the finish time, which is another important thing. You know we, we go from 9 to 12. There we go. Midday, you're finished. Yeah, because often these things can stretch on. Like you said, you know, if you start a tournament at 7 o'clock, um, you know, there's no guarantee that tournament, depending on how many people are going to, is going to be over by midnight, especially, you know, when they go to the playoffs and then that's typically when things thin out. Cause you're like, well, I'm not in it. So I'm getting out of here. Cause I know this is going to go on for another hour or two, but yeah, they can be, they can be lengthy. And it, it's kind of like, again, it's kind of like when you're going to do, when you're going bowling or going golfing, I mean, you got to set aside a certain number of hours, uh, because you know, there's, there's going to be some time there. So let's talk a little bit, John, uh, you know, obviously you are the TPS, um, the pinball show spooky haggis correspondent. And let's talk a little bit about what's going on with, uh, with the folks either at spooky or at haggis. I think the last time you and I were chatting on a, on, on the podcast together, you were sharing with us that you had, 
purchased either game zero or game one of, of their first title, which is Celts uh, or Celts, I should say. So do you have your machine yet? I didn't see it there in your uh, in your collection. No, like anything in pinball, a couple of weeks. I chatted today and today in preparation. <laughs> um, Elon, I was listening to the Elon Musk interview on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he was saying making an electric car prototype is fairly easy. Putting into production is 10,000 times harder. And I think mm-hmm. Damien's learned that with pinball, that I'm still waiting. Most of the parts have arrived. He does have the problem that most of his parts are being sent over from the US. The last check a few weeks ago, he was waiting on 100 sets of pinball leagues to come over. I think they've arrived now and he's still waiting for some mechs to put it there. The latest prediction is two weeks time. Uh, (laughs) This has been happening for a while. I don't mind. I've got enough other games here to help me. But yes, I ordered, uh, he put it on display November two years ago at the flip out tournament. And I said, I'll buy it now. And so I got production game number one. He's had production game zero as a as a test production, which worked. Um, but I've got number one coming when it arrives, and I'm hoping next month. But I won't hold my breath. We'll see what happens as far as uh, everything arriving to put the thing together, and then I get to be the uh, the test dummy to see uh, what needs adjusting for the rest of the games. And I know there's about five games in order going to the US, um, and I, I think he's sold at least 25 so far. So there's a few going to be rolling off the line. So what's that timeline again? Are you're you're well over a year now, right? In having waited for that, or are you are you under that still? Uh, I gave him a deposit in November two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> so it's like Wizard of Oz. It's all Wizard of Oz. So who's counting? But who's counting? Who? Uh, what's, what's a few months? Finally, I met Jack about two years before I got my Wizard of Oz, and it was always just a couple of weeks away. Stern are the only ones that can do it on time, but. Uh, it's yeah, production's difficult. So that's I'm looking forward to that. I've played the game, I've smashed the play field with a hammer and not made a mark. The music's fantastic and the rules are good. So it'll be well. Hopefully he'll um, sell enough. If he sold 25 to 30, that's good. It'll be out there in the world, and then he can work on his second title, which I know they've got well developed, but not saying to build until this one's built. So um, we'll get that. And Spooky, I'm just waiting for Spooky to make their announcement which will be the end of the uh, Rick and Morty production, which is sitting over here to my right. Uh, and the beginning of the, Charlie's already said it, so I don't think it's a secret, the TNA 2.0, which will be the same game, but with enhanced build features and maybe a couple of tweaks to the rules. And I know Scott was a little upset watching people soft plunge, catch on the right flipper, backhand the lock, play the game, do the same, and that was the whole game. Just continually backhanding, locking the multi ball, doing the reactors, soft plunging, catching, and over and over again. Tournament play does that. In this case, it wasn't even tournament play, it was just to get to reactor number nine, but it was something they could do. So there may be a small impediment to repeating that tactic on TNA 2.0. Yes, he has indicated there, I think, in some of his recent interviews that he is uh, going to be tweaking a few things, I, I believe, to iron out a few of those, let's call them like hacks, I guess, the, <laughs> or little uh, little cheats, quote unquote, although it's not really cheating, but but ways that, that good players have exploited that particular um, particular title. And I, I'm sure a lot of titles have, have those little things. 
it's a great opportunity for him. And, and how often does that happen where a designer can go back and say, okay, we're going to vault this and have at it again, just to sort of iron out a few things or change a few things that, you know, in hindsight, weren't the best or, or that, you know, tastes evolve too over time. And, and now certainly the bar since TNA has come out, although it's a, it's a beloved title, which is why they're doing it again. You know, a few things have changed in terms of the rule sets are much deeper now, and um, and it just it just gives him a chance, I think, to go back and, and tweak a few things that maybe um, need to be ironed out or adjusted to make it even better. It was always designed as a simple game. He, he designed a betting game for his friends, and uh, uh, it introduced co-op to the world, which had never been done before. Um, I mean, Spooky's been very innovative in some of the things they've done. They were the first to do co-op. I'm looking at my America's Most Haunted, which had interior cab lighting built into the cab sides in a recessed manner which uh charlie came up with that of course much louder in uh the latest uh, led zeppelin game <laughs> yes where have we seen that before right yeah exactly to both tna and alice cooper the games finish when you complete your final wizard mode to which charlie got a lot of poo poo from people and of course jurassic park and avengers do the same thing so so yeah so we'll look forward to i know spooky's probably got about another three games in development after tna uh, it's a long lead time and I'm looking forward. I don't know what they are. They don't tell me, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they are. And, uh, and I keep wishing them well. Their workshop is expanding and I think their production lines will be increasing. So they'll be able to turn out more games uh, per week than they currently are. I don't think anyone will ever match Stern's output, but... Uh, well, they're a reliable company, right? And they don't, you don't have to be, I think in pinball, everyone's got patience and they, and they know they have to wait. And I think they, they've developed a lot of trust within the community now that they, when people, pl- you know, plunk down their money, they know they're in for a little bit of a wait, but they know they're going to get it, yeah. uh, you know, eventually. And I think the way they launched Rick and Morty was absolutely brilliant by giving people numbers. So they, so just like, you know, the old days when you're lining up for a concert, you got, you know, your wristband with your number and you know where you sit, you know, and so there you go. And then you wait. And then, you know, the company gives you a little bit of production information in terms of how quickly they're making the games or how many games they are going to do, you know, per week, per day, per month. And you get an idea of how long you're in for it. Right. So I, I think they've learned a lot and they've, you know, again, they've just built up the trust and they've they've kind of shown some of the bigger guys too how it can be done. You know, and that, you know, theme is important, but but also, again, just building that trust and having just good, good designs and uh, good trust within the community itself. You know, I think the good thing about having an organization like Spooky is Rick and Morty wouldn't have been picked up by Stern because it would not sell enough units to be profitable for them. So Spooky says we'll make 750 of this game. And of course, that was enough. (laughs) Well, not nearly enough because it sold out so quickly. But mm-hmm. I think if you said to the larger manufacturers, you know, here's a game, you're going to make a thousand, do you want the title? They'd say, no, we've got bigger fish to fry. So it's nice having someone that will do smaller runs and be happy with that number of runs. So we can get some different titles. Yeah, unique, you know, and, and then have and have their own following. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of like cult classics or or ones again that, um, you know, I'd love to see Spooky take on something like a, like a, you know, a John Hughes movie or, you know, just something a little off the beaten track. Um, John Hughes movie? Why would you pick that? I don't know. Just something different that's, yeah. but that's beloved, you know, that has some... That a some... Machine. 
Okay, Jesse Jays has a segment called Shit Pinball Themes. I'm putting that one on <laughs> it for the next recording. <laughs> Don't hate on my pinball. John Hughes machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you've purchased a number of games over the last year, John, which are, which some of which are just arriving now. So I, I saw Avengers in your collection there. So how, which, which model of Avengers did you buy and how are you enjoying it so far? I got the premium. I have a name down for an LE, but uh, there was a massive over subscription for people that wanted the LE. And I, I, a lot of my games have been LEs in the past. I'm not that enamored. Because I turn them over, I normally keep them for six to 12 months, and so I don't mind. I'm, I was happy to get a premium, so I downgraded to the premium, if you can call it a downgrade, uh, and I love it. Yeah, that arrived about six weeks ago, and I'm enjoying it. I've printed up the rule book in living colour, so I can try to learn it. I'm still studying. I've now worked out how to get the gems, and I can get all the gems. I just can't work out exactly where to place them. We did a, uh, a live stream with Jesse J and Emily and... Luckily, Raymond Davison joined us for the stream to give us some coaching tips on how to play the game. So we got to the first uh, Thanos battle, which is like a little intermediate. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to explore in it, which is good. The shots are good. All the shots flow very well, as per Keith Games. So that's my. If you look around my game room at the moment, that's the only game that's turned on because that's my go-to game to explore to get to know. And the good thing is it's not an overly long game. I've got Deadpool next to it. When I get onto Deadpool, that, that can last 40 to 45 minutes going through that because it's a long player. Yeah, the, the Avengers can be a little cruel at times. <laughs> Ooh, can it ever. Yeah, it's uh, it's giving me a hell of a hell of a challenge on, on my side. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I know what you mean there. It's not like once you get the hang of it and you know where you're going in it, I can see that it doesn't have to be, you know, a 45 minute adventure, no. you know, like you could, you could probably, if you know what you're doing, you could probably get to that Thanos battle in, I don't know, is it 20 minutes, like under half an hour, I'd say. And uh, I haven't really explored. They've got the uh, straight to the wizard mode feature, which is. Black Order is it Black Order? I'm not even sure. What's the final battle called? The Black it, yeah, it's it's the it's not the Black Order. It's the um, oh, it is the it's the ba it's the Battle Royale. It's yeah. the Battle Royale. Yeah, I know, I've only done that once just to see what it was like. Um, and like I, I don't mind doing it. I just haven't really bothered yet. I want to get more into the game myself. Um, I think mm. the first time I actually get there, I'll be more comfortable with cheating and going to there, knowing that I could have got there anyway, rather than uh, mm -hmm. for myself now. But no, I'm enjoying that. Um, the, the other games that have arrived this year have been Rick and Morty, of course. Was that last year? It's all a bit of a blur, really. And I did a restoration of a jackpot, which I'm loving. I've got a Belly Williams back again. They've all been a bit more modern lately, and I needed a Belly Williams back in the collection and uh, found a trashed old one with a broken woodwork and a split cabinet head, and it was sort of basically working, so I got all the... The PCB power board rebuilt with all new capacitors and bridge rectifiers, and uh, did the woodwork myself and redecaled it and cleaned up the playfield and stripped it and put it back together. And now I've got a perfect uh, jackpot sitting there to play with. Nice, that's exciting. Yeah, and so when you order all those parts, I guess they got. Do they mostly have to come from the U.S. or do, are there some Australian-based distributors that stock a good a good supply of this stuff? Now we're lucky. We. Uh, Mr. Pinball, Wayne Gillard down in Melbourne, was actually the first person to buy all the rights off um, the Valley Williams catalog. So he's got a ton of uh, parts. He went on to do a deal with Rick 
from planetary pinball, of course, but we can get most of the parts either from him or Pinball Spare Parts Australia or Ride the Bony Beast is another company. All our Stern parts come from AMD, which is our distributor for Stern here. So we're not too bad. Anything electromechanical, got to still go through, um, what's his name? <laughs> the pinball Resource. <laughs> I still have to get a friend to send a check <laughs> to Pinball Resource. But uh, uh, yeah, but that all comes in the US for the, for the older EM games. But most of the other stuff we can get from here. Most of the mods come from overseas, of course, when you want to mod out your game. Um, but I'll get a smattering from uh, Marco or Pinball Life for or measles mods for mods or upgrades and that sort of stuff. So it's not too bad as far as parts go. So you've you got the Avengers, Rick and Morty, you said. H have you played GNR yet, or did you did you happen to order a GNR? No, not yet. I knew the CE had sold out instantly, so it was going to be an LE, which is the other. I've, I've had all the Jersey Jack games, but I was willing to wait a little uh, and see. I like... First time I played Pirates of the Caribbean, I didn't like it from Jersey Jack. Second time I played it, I didn't like it. Third time I played it with Eric Menier standing next to me, and I still didn't like it. <laughs> wow. But the fifth time I played it, when all the rules were done, and I got to spend about 40 minutes in Melbourne with Jack Ganeri playing the game, I fell in love with it and bought it. So I think Guns N' Roses, I'm looking at the complexity of it and the type of shots and the rules, and I'm going to let it eke out and develop a bit more. And then I should be able to pick up a uh, a Ellie uh, version at some stage in the future without too much trouble, new inbox or secondhand, and we'll go from there. But it looks like a great game. Might be a bit of a long player again, and I don't need any more long playing games. <laughs> I got Wizard of Oz sitting next to Pirates of the Caribbean, and they're both long playing games. Well, they are. It is a beautiful game, like you said, and uh, and is one I think that will be. You know, it's a very unique game in the world of, for sure, in the world of uh, of music pins. It has the makings of potentially a you know a classic again, much much like Wizard of Oz. And typically, a lot of those Jersey Jack games are so unique. I mean, they they release so few of them, and they and they typically put so much into them that they all have their own unique feel and and vibe and 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 typically it's all it's all good stuff you know yeah i had the pleasure of converting my wizard of oz from the uh 7.5 volt to the 2.0 light system under the play field which have you ever seen or done that that's a that's an exciting time but uh, at last my lights don't rainbow every 15th game because if one of the boards touches something it shouldn't so uh thank you to eric menier for um solving that problem and and uh getting the updated light system in there so it's good. I, I like. I don't think the Woz will ever go, and the Pirates definitely won't go, just because uh, Pirates would be irreplaceable. And too many people, young and old, like Wizard of Oz. They're, they're, they're my bolt downs at the moment. Yeah, again, those are those are games that always, uh, like you said, when you have a guest over and they see those, they're instantly drawn to those games, right? Because they look fantastic. They're themes that everyone knows generally and loves. So it's it's like you said, it's it, it they end up being they end up sticking around for a little longer than some of the other ones. That's that's and they're and and they're easy to kind of wrap your head around generally. Although pirates, I guess you could argue maybe not so much, but <laughs> but they're great flail games when you play. Yeah, loves pirates. You just say, what do I hit? Hit everything as much as you can and people will yeah. do it and magic happens whereas a lot of other games you know you go oh, i'm gonna hit left ramp then you're gonna hit the spinner like no i can't aim yet so it's, yeah. it's good to have a couple of long playing flail games for the new people so just hit everything you can
Avengers is the almost the exact opposite of that, right? <laughs> Where it's not it's not very flail friendly, that's for sure. Sometimes it's not fright friendly in general. I mean, <laughs> most of my games, there's a lot it involves a lot of cursing generally. <laughs> So tell us a little bit too, John, you know, for those that don't, that don't know, you do, not only are you doing some, uh, some podcasting, uh, for the pinball show with your, with your correspondent work, but you also stream on Twitch with your daughter, Emily, um, of course, who, uh, and your streams called Emily and Dr. John. That's correct. How often do you do that? And how has that experience been for you? It's mainly all Dr. John at the moment. Emily's just turning 18. And you know what happens when they turn 18? <laughs> you don't <laughs> see them. <laughs> they spend more time in their bedroom. The, uh, now, well, Emily and I started uh, our streaming career. I'm just looking here at YouTube. March 13th, 2017. Hmm. We started the Emily and Dr. John channel on YouTube, which is aimed mainly at kids. Showing them how to play pinball, everything from where the start button is, what a tilt is, how you can possibly work out rules of a game, and we would have a bit of a, a battle amongst ourselves. It was very early on in Emily's pinball career. I think she started competitive pinball about 15, so she was 16 when we started this. So, yeah, we, we did that. We, we released a whole stack, and then every time we get a new game in, we'll do another one. Sometimes we have um, guests on uh to help us out we've done 29 youtube shows and then we started streaming on twitch but uh emily sort of lost interest <laughs> as as they do so it's mainly just me and i do once a week on a sunday morning here uh either on my own or some friends who come over and play and we'll just choose a, a game and, and have a go it's quite humbling to see what's happened with pinball streaming and twitch over the last Two years, I think I started. I can't remember when I started Twitch streaming, but there was really only about two or three streamers around at that time. And then, of course, uh, the Pinball Network started. It opened up a, a, a floodgate for people to come in and stream and the development of the streams, what they can do during the stream, the personalities, how they do it, the uh, redemptions. Puts me to shame. <laughs> well, people put a lot of time into this, you know, and, and there are some very talented people out there who have like you said you know their 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 streams look fantastic there's redemptions galore there's video i mean it it really is um you know you are entertained when you when you go to some of these uh some of these streams and i've and i've talked about them uh in the past and and there's everybody from you know ie pinball you know carl d'angelo and and raymond davidson who are top-notch players who teach as much as anything and that's where their enter the entertainment comes from just watching these guys handle these machines and explain rules to to other folks like like manu on mp3k and and jordan and becca and george on don't panic flip i mean these guys um and girls are are fantastic in in everything they do and there's something for everybody in if you like pinball you know, like like you said, or like other folks have said, there's someone on every every day of the week, and it's generally like the hobby is as well. It's very supportive, and so everyone, you know, if you have questions about how you know someone's look or what they did or how you know, there everyone's generally very open about about helping uh, other other folks in the hobby get better or learn. It's really helped propel pinball in in that particular medium. I think for the better, for sure. Yeah. When I think of uh, Carl's streams on IE Pinball or Ray Days, I'm mainly thinking about watching it for the pinball because they are so good and you get to see parts of the games that mere mortals would never see. 
And then there's the other streams of you don't really care if they're playing pinball. The, the most obvious one that uh, springs to mind is Top Rope. Yeah. <laughs> often he's not playing pinball, often he's falling over. <laughs> and then Becker and Jordan, they just have such a great rapport with each other. And it's so nice to be able to chat with them. Um, having never met them in person, I actually think of them as my friends. I know. But we do chat a lot on stream and ends up off stream on Discord. Yeah, and Manu and George and, and everyone. Um, Lindsay, they're, they're great. They're great folk. They put their time in to do it. I, I just like getting on and playing and streaming and every now and again, someone will just drop in, even if it's for five, ten minutes and say hello and how's it going? And I find out how they are and uh, play a bit of pinball while we're doing it. So it's more of a chat stream with me than anything else. But no, it's a great diversion when uh, I'll put it on at work, sometimes at lunchtime when I'm in between patients. Um, and then I have to drop the volume depending on the tone of the podcast. <laughs> I was going to say while you're operating or while you're doing something like, you know, <laughs> just have it playing in the background, you know, learning how to play the last, uh, the latest version of Avengers or whatever. <laughs> now, the, the thing I found in operating, I'll always have music on while operating, but for somehow lately, I'll put on a Spotify playlist and it'll inevitably someone about to go to sleep and Eric Clapton will come on, knock, knock, knock on heaven's door. And my niece will look at me and go, don't play that song right now or only women bleed by REM or everybody hurts sometime. <laughs> so stop putting songs on like that. I'm going to have to actually develop my own playlist, which is not disturbing to patients as much. So you're obviously a doctor. Tell us what you're a doctor of and what hospital you're working at currently. Oral and maxillofacial surgeon, okay. as opposed to my bank manager, who once introduced me as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, which I'm not. <laughs> but... <laughs> big difference. There's a big difference there. No, so so we're, we're a strange breed. We have a dental degree and a medical degree, and we operate on the face. So anything from minor stuff like impacted wisdom teeth, to putting dental implants in, that'll pay the bills, to major trauma, um, anything, eyes, face, forehead, jaw, um, anything smashed up, we put back together, wow. uh, to cancer removals and congenital malformations, moving jaws around to be more functional and to look better as well. Mm -hmm. So, and I operate in a few different areas. Um, that fills my day, pays for my pinball machines. <laughs> That's awesome. No, that's great. And I and and that's the other great thing about the hobby. Like I was saying before, you get people from all walks of life and vocations, and uh, like you said, you know, doctors. There's doctors, lawyers, plumbers. You know, salesmen, unemployed. <laughs> I mean, you see all types. <laughs> you get all types. You know, retired kids that are still in school. So speaking of kids still in school, your your daughter does she go with you to a lot of these tournaments now? You were saying that she does, or she used to anyway. Does she still attend a couple of them? Does she enjoy that? She'll always go to a tournament. She doesn't like playing as much just for the sake of it down here in the games room. But whenever I'm off to a tournament, she'll come just because she she learned at a young age it's fun to beat adult men. <laughs> that's her that's her main aim in life. She really enjoys that, um, and she's, you know, she, she's ranked. I think in Australia at the moment, I'm ranked 42nd, and she's 44th, which is good because we tend to swap our rankings, placings depending on where we come in the tournaments. But uh, so she's a very good player, and she she does like to compete. So we've got a 24-hour tournament coming up on Easter Saturday, which we're still deciding whether we're going to go to. It looks like we will be. So that's uh, like the 24-hour the Sanctum in the US. We have the 24-hour death by pinball at netherworld so it's wow. a match play and we'll see if we i've never done one 
I hate to think what's going to happen, but uh, we'll be going to that and seeing how we go. Bring your pajamas, you know, you never know. Catch a nap in between, uh, in between rounds. People do, but you've got to rely on them to wake you up so you don't get a zero for that round. But you're right. That's the interesting thing, again, like I was saying earlier about, about these tournaments, is you go there and, and sometimes people bring their kids who have been coming to tournaments probably for, for longer than you have been playing. And, uh, and I can remember the last tournament I was in before, before uh, COVID hit where, um, where there was quite a, a cross-section of, uh, of people in it. And, and I got playing a game with the girl. She, was, she could have been my daughter. I mean, she was probably 16. And, and as I was stepping up to the game, I thought, well, let's not, let's not embarrass everybody here too much by crushing the poor child here with my with my awesome score meanwhile i got destroyed i had two balls in i thought shit craig if you're waiting to win you might want to do it soon you know and of course i didn't win yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've had very similar experiences uh we got the u.s they're often not used to young girls we, we had a tournament in las vegas and then they came third in and uh the usual question at the end of each match was, how old is she? Yeah, what? <laughs> what? What just happened? It's fun to win. It's fun to win. But I like Zach Sharp's quote when asked, was he upset about being knocked out of a Pinburg final? And he said, I have lost many more games of pinball than I've ever won. So it's not a surprise when I lose. It's a surprise when I win. And I told that to Emily. And, and, and that gets us through a lot of, uh, a lot of crushing losses. <laughs> yes. But that loss is the norm. Um, <laughs> take your wins, smile, thank you, and uh, and try to get another one. But uh, don't worry when you lose; it's all good. And you do learn a lot about that. I I, I have to talk myself down several times. Uh, you know, I found during these tournaments, which is to say, just just chill out. It's not the end of the world. It's just one game, and you'll do better next time, and or whatever. You know, keep having fun, yeah. ha- have a drink, chill, you know, relax a little bit. And not and not take it too seriously because, like you said, there's always people there that are that are much better, and and it is pinball after the, after all, and so there is a certain element, you know, of luck, and obviously the better players uh, play more on the side of skill, but for the average player, there is an element of luck too, and so you never know sometimes where that ball is going to bounce or, um, you know, what what's going to happen in in the game, you know. It's about walking that line between between a certain amount of luck and uh, and and skill and and hopefully the longer you play the more uh, the more you're edging toward the skill side. But there's still that luck that luck you know lady luck sometimes smiles and sometimes she beats you back with a stick. <laughs> so are we in a new pinball lull at the moment? Are we in the lull cycle? I haven't even noticed. I mean, Led Zeppelin came out and Guns N' Roses came out. And I don't want to speculate, but it just feels like we're in a, we're in the slumpy period. Is it because it's winter? I I think it. I think we are too. And I'm trying to remember back what happened last year. And and I there are different cycles here throughout the year. We have to keep remembering when manufacturers in particular are in between titles. And I think 2020 felt to me like a year where it was like, and it didn't happen this way, but it just felt like starting with maybe Stranger Things, which happened kind of right around Christmas of 2019. And really, they weren't kicking out games till early 2020. But it was announced in 2019. It was like that. And then we had Rick and Morty. And then it was just it would just seem to be like a cascade of of new titles, Avengers. And it seemed to be they were just getting better and better. And then there was rumors of Guns N' Roses. And then they finally released that. And we can't forget about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that came out in 2020. You know, so it's going to be hard to in 2021 to um, 
to beat what happened in 2020 because there was that there was a buildup there of fantastic titles. But that's what's exciting about pinball because then, you know, the next one, you know, hopefully is around the corner and uh, Chicago gaming. Yeah, they're they're lurking in the in the thing with their Cactus Canyon uh, title, which has, of course, been rumored for a long time. And then, of course, we've got the, the startup folks at uh, Deep Root. Now there, you gotta have a little bit of patience. It'll be it'll be interesting to see if uh, if they can get this thing out in. Um, you know, they had high hopes of getting this thing out by I think they were saying end of March, but I will be absolutely shocked if they do that based on where they're at now. So, I think they can consider that a win, in my opinion, if they get that game out in under one year. That is my prediction, and and they could easily go longer. You know, as we know with other titles, and there have been. There have been, you know, good old Jersey Jack as Wizard of Oz was a perfect example. I mean, I think, how long were people waiting for that game, John? Was it two years? No, more. About two and a half, three years. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, so there you go. It could, you know, now I I don't, I don't want to compare with, you know, Wizard of Oz with Raza in terms of the, the, maybe the quality of the game. Uh, although that sort of remains remains to be seen, but but it does show again that um, that these these things are just uh, like you were saying earlier. They're they're incredibly complex and difficult to manufacture. And uh, get your patience pants on when you want one, because uh, because unless you're buying a Stern, <laughs> you're going to be waiting. But yeah, you don't think we got a little oversaturated last year with the number of new titles? I- I'm not sure about oversaturated because I'd love to see, you know, I I could always uh, absorb more, but I think we were, it's almost like we got a little bit spoiled because there were just so many good games. I mean, even, even Hot Wheels, I I think was a, was a, was a decent title, uh, especially in the world of American pinball, uh, because, you know, no offense to um, our friends that own Oktoberfest and Houdini, but those were, in my opinion, subpar titles. And so thankfully on their on their third release that with Hot Wheels, I think they definitely raised their own bar there. And so it'll be interesting to see what that company does in the next little while. But I think 2020 is going to be a tough year to beat overall. And it'll be just interesting to see here what these guys can come up with. Certainly Spooky with Total Nuclear Annihilation 2.0, that will be a very interesting title. I think, even though we sort of know what it's all about, um, it'll be just interesting to see what Scott happens to do with that, you know, and what, you know, in terms of what Spooky can do in general with uh, with how they roll that out. But have you seen that uh, Americans hired new director of animation and art, etc.? I mean, that's always been the big criticism over there. Mm-hmm. So see what he can bring. I mean, I loved Hot Wheels. I had Hot Wheels home here for about two or three months. Enjoyed playing it, streamed it a lot, went in the Hot Wheels Challenge. Came eighth. Where's my prize? <laughs> I want my prize. Surely I get something for eighth. That's <laughs> because everyone else dropped out. Oh, it was a frustrating. If you want to get frustrated at pinball, do one of those things where you're going to challenge each uh, objective and just kill yourself doing it. But, uh, yeah, with the new art uh, and new animations, because their build quality is excellent. I've played all games. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they are built really well. Problem with the slight upper flipper shot on Oktoberfest, but still built well. Um, so if they get another good license um, with new art, I think they'll be a, a force to be reckoned with. 
Yeah, hopefully they give us a good licensed theme there that people can get behind. And I'd say, you know, although Hot Wheels was a was a known theme, I'm not sure I would call it an A theme, but at least it was a, you know, a, a, a known licensed theme versus Oktoberfest or, or Houdini. So hopefully they hopefully they can give the community a, a decent licensed theme and uh, in a way it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with for sure. I mean, they're certainly talking brash. <laughs> So I hope they deliver. Please. <laughs> please. Uh, please. No, so it'll be interesting to see what 2021 holds. But I, I think you're right. We are in a little bit of a lull right now. And I would expect by probably March, we're going to see something. Someone, you know, it's a perfect opportunity for someone to step forward because, you know, there isn't much going on. And it, it'd be a great time for people to uh, that are looking for something different to sort of step up. Because I know a lot of people, although... You know, you can't knock um, GNR for for being a great looking title. Certainly, it's not everybody's first choice in terms of a theme, and there are a lot of people who may have may have passed on it just because either a they didn't like the the they don't like music pins or they don't like that particular style of music in Guns and Roses, and and so I know there are a lot of people who are anxious to see. Jersey Jack's next title, which which of course is rumored to be uh, Toy Story, yep. um, so it'll it'll just be really interesting to see what they have coming up and and how soon they're gonna uh, they're gonna announce that next title will be interesting. Yeah, it must be hard for them to decide when to announce and how far in advance to announce. I mean, Stern's got the model of announce and ship pretty much straight away. Um, JJP's. I think usually had the uh, announced delay <laughs> and then ship. <laughs> and so you peak interest, people talk about it, and they lose that, uh, you know, I want the toy now, daddy type factor. But uh, it would be nice if they gave us a bit of lead time sometimes, I think, to decide uh, what to sell, when to buy, that sort of stuff. It's all a bit uh, FOMO when they do the announcement nowadays of trying to get the game as quick as you can, which thankfully I'm over. Hurrah. But uh, I, I definitely had FOMO early on. Would get on straight away and order, but sight unseen. But uh, once you once you've had enough games, because I've owned, I think I've owned sixty different games so far, bought and sold. So um, I'll get a bit more discerning in what I actually want here, and I, and I always want something that plays differently. I, I agree with you. There is a certain, there probably is a certain sweet spot in terms of the amount of time from the announcement to you know whatever sort of teasers they're going to have to the actual release of the game. And there needs to be, you know, that has to be done in the, in the right way, in the right time. But I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think there needs, I think there's an argument to be made that if, if the title's right and the company is a believer um, that they, they could, you know, come out a little sooner to, uh, to sort of maybe test the waters a little bit or even just put out some feelers into the community to see how, how a particular title might go over or, yeah. or whatever. Is there any other industry um, that does that? make and release i'm thinking video games i always have previews available in four months time pre-order now i'm not doing car arguments because i think they have nothing to do with pinball apart from the price um but pretty much everything else i think of they will announce a new product coming soon give us your expression of interest um it helps the manufacturers gauge how many and how quickly to make them i think um i'm not quite sure why we aren't allowed to know what the title is until it's ready to go I'm not. I'm, can you think of a reason for that? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of secrecy around it, and and I don't know if the belief that, like you said, the they're they're 
they're placing their bets so much on, or there's maybe such a large percentage of sales that goes to people that are buying these things spontaneously. I mean, you wouldn't think so in this day and age when the machines are so friggin' expensive in general. You know, you'd think that most buyers would know or want to know what they're getting into before just sort of seeing an ad for whether it be GNR or Avengers and they just go, oh yeah, that I can, I'm just going to plunk down my 10 grand on, on that game or 15 grand or whatever, or whatever the, the, the title is. Um, so you'd think that their core audience would be people that are in the, in the hobby. They know what they're looking for. They're, they're probably very educated in terms of, you know, pinball and, and, and what they want, what they like, what's out, what's available. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, again, it, it does. It is a little frustrating, I think, compared to a lot of industries that where they're quite happy to tell you what's coming down the pipe to get people excited and to allow people to plan to a certain degree, I think, as well, because as people's collections grow, I think people need a little bit of time to sort of um, understand what they want to get rid of or how, you know, you can't just move these things instantly, although I know the market's so hot that 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 people, when they put them up for sale, it's not like they're, they're usually, if they're a decent title and in decent shape, they're not hanging out for weeks with these things. So they're easy to move these days, but, but there, there needs to be a certain amount of planning going on because people only have so much room, right? So it would, it would be helpful to know, okay, well, I know that I maybe don't like Toy Story this, you know, that's coming, but, but the one after that, that's the one I want because it's whatever, you know, yeah. Blade Runner, I- Aliens, like name your title, you know. I don't have to announce two titles once, just give us a... Mandalorian. A, I mean, I wonder if the LE is the thing that's driving that. I don't know, because the LEs all sell out in pre- by pretty much most manufacturers straight away, all the CE for Jersey Jack. I wonder if instead of, I don't know, limiting the number, say, here's the new title, if you order, if you pre-order within the next two days you get extra bling and we'll call it the LE. So there's no number limit. Uh, and then people can then wait to order the premium or the pro as they like. And if you want to order sight unseen in the first two days because of loyalty or a love of the theme, then you get the extra bling. Um, I don't know, do you think it's the LE that's driving the secrecy so that they can sell them more quickly sight unseen? You know, it's a good point because people generally know those games are in short supply and the demand is so friggin high that is, you know, they're basically Stern anyway is selling these things out easily in a day. You know, Spooky sold theirs out, if not within a day, within two days. And the GNR was 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 similar, you know, within two days, uh, day, day and a half, certainly up here. I was talking to my distributor, uh, which is Player One up here, and they're like, it sold out within hours of uh, of the announcement, you know. And they and and they and they couldn't get enough. Like they, he could he could have probably sold twenty of the friggin' things or more, and he just had to keep telling people no, 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 all all day long after that, you know, which was uh, which was tough. The, the Jersey Jack uh, company policy that if they see your flipping or selling on your collector's edition early before you even get it, they cancel your order and refund you. Mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. don't want people flipping the games out of profit before they're even made. And, uh, a bit hard to control, but uh, <laughs> I think that's an interesting take on it. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not sure I love that either because I my my feeling is, you know, if you want the thing bad enough and you've got the coin to get it, well, then it's kind of how you want to proceed at that point. But I do get it to a point because these things are in sort of short supply and so they don't want people sort of playing the market, I guess, unfairly. But eh, that's it's a, it's a tough thing, like you said, to control in this day and age for sure. But they're doing their best. No one's, no one's got the perfect model, I'll say that, you know, in terms of how they're doing it, but they're getting better. We'll see if their model changes. I'm, I'm like you. I would like a little bit of notice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, where you can do a little bit of planning, and uh, and then and then a little bit of planning too about when the thing's gonna gonna be coming in. Because that was my other frustration. Even though Stern again was in hindsight. I mean, they were under 12 weeks for for my particular game, and but I was in the dark for most of that in terms of. You know, there are a lot of I thinks and, and it should be's, but but no one could tell me specifically. And I found that a little stressful and frustrating, even though everything turned out fine. But when you, you know, when you want something and particularly something this big and there's logistical issues, you know, it's helpful to have that process is transparent with as much communication there as possible. So they're learning. The distributors are learning. I think the manufacturers have learned a ton this year as well. And I think it's getting better. It's not perfect, but I think every, you know, they're all getting better. The ones that are going to survive, they know what they got to do to play the game on the consumer side as well. Well, great, John. This has been a ton of fun. I'm really, uh, I'm really thrilled that you were able to, like I said, uh, take the time time out of your out of your busy schedule to join us uh, today for a chat and it's been too long man we I know I wanted to have you on a lot a lot sooner and so uh, like I was saying to Matt and all the correspondents that are finally coming on the show after you know we're up, I'm up to uh, practically 25 episodes here that I'm I'm, uh, I, I'm I'm really pleased to have have finally have the opportunity to have you guys on I know actually what I'm doing now with the with the editing so I can actually edit <laughs> Hit a longer episode. No, so thanks. It's it's it was a ton of fun chatting, and uh, and I I'd love for you to come on again sometime soon. It'd be great. Right, mate. Thank you for doing the podcast for a start. Unlike Slack, Dennis, and Zach, who taken a month off. <laughs> well deserved break, boys. Well deserved break. No, it's just good to chat pinball. Whether it's a podcast or just chatting, always good to chat pinball. And keep that cot in your basement uh, ready for me because you, you never know. I'm going to call you one day when this, when this, uh, when I can fly internationally. And I'm like, John, I'm coming. <laughs> Come on down. We'll veg him up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Don't you worry. That's right. Get the beer Woo! chilling. I'm taking the 24 hour flight. Here I go. You know. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I have Jesse J and Ryan C at the airport waiting for me with a car. Keep your eye out when COVID's gone. Everyone's got to come over to the Brisbane Masters. That's our Australia's biggest tournament. And that's the one two years ago we had. Bowen came over. Uh, Esher came over. Colin Irving came over. Um, we had a stack of people lined up for the one that had to be cancelled um, last year because of COVID. But uh, they'll probably, I think they had about 20 international players on their list. So when it's all over, keep your eye on the Brisbane Masters. It's a great event and you'll meet everyone. It'll be like the Southern Hemisphere's biggest pinball tournament for sure. All right, I'm putting it on my calendar. I'm going to watch that thing. Stay warm up there. Thanks, John. Yeah, put, keep, keep that air conditioning running. We don't want, we don't want those games melting down. <laughs> All right, Craigie. See you later. All right, thanks, John. We'll chat soon. Bye. 
Well, so amazing that I got another chance to talk to one of Pinball's more interesting and well-known personalities. Such a pleasure to have Dr. John along for the ride today, and we thoroughly enjoyed having him. I always love talking to the Pinball Show's news correspondents because, much like Pinball itself, they all have such different, fun, and distinctive personalities. Have we spoke to them all? No! Stay tuned for next time as we talk to Brian Cosner. You know him as the lovable, laughable cause, the Pinball Show's American Pinball News correspondent. We all know that there's lots brewing over at American Pinball these days, so it'll be great to catch up with Cause and see what the latest rumors and speculation are over there. We thank you for listening and being with us this week. We'd love to have you along for the ride again next time. But until then, I'm Craig Bobby. Catch you on the flip side.